Welcome to Brain Cage, where we discuss BDSM, hypnosis, and the mind for all those exploring their fetishes and interests. This is Puppet Master, your mentor for the podcast. And this is Dracosa, your hypnotic guide. And for today's topic, we're going to be talking about communication, which is very important, especially when you're trying to understand the person that you're going to be talking with, working with, and this comes into play very heavily in hypnosis, since when you're sitting down, you want to understand how the other person is thinking, how they understand what it means. Even from the idea of what hypnosis is, you may have a different idea of what the person is expecting, how the person imagines it works, and sitting down and spending that time to talk about how you see the hypnosis, how they see it, and what you really are expecting out of it. A lot of people go into doing hypnosis thinking, oh, well, it seems like an interesting topic, or possibly questioning what may come from it. But the main thing, at least that I've seen and understood from it, is that by talking with the person, they may have a different viewpoint or a different perspective than what you may be bringing in. And by understanding that difference, not only are you able to flex your own understanding and begin to expand outwards, but you're able to bring in this different viewpoint for the other person as well. It's about really communicating to understand who you are and what you have that is coming into this conversation and what they are looking for and expecting so that as you talk, you can actually build that. For example, one of the old questions that's asked is, what is a star? And it's the idea of you can have a room of 20 people that can each answer that question a little bit differently. They can say it's a ball of gas. They can say it's a shiny object up in the sky at night. But in all honesty, that difference is showing how our minds understand the world. For one thing, people come in and discuss about the ideas of their different modalities or their different senses, mainly. And that some people may depend on sight, some may depend on touch, some may depend upon what they hear. And so the main thing to really sit down and understand is that a person may experience something differently from you. They may connect with what you're saying in a different way, and that by discussing that with them, you're able to make your communication much more effective. Hypnosis, from my perspective, is based on the idea that one person is guiding the other through an actual experience that they are having internally and that they are connecting with the other person. So as one person is giving them information and guiding them, they are creating this understanding, and it's based on the knowledge that the person who is being hypnotized is using to create this world. The person who's being hypnotized is using their own knowledge, their past, their experience, what it is they've gone through to build out this world that is being described to them, this experience that's going on. And the more accurately you're able to analyze and understand that, or even just to connect with it on a personal level, is a very powerful way to increase your communication. Wouldn't you agree, Puppet? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you're talking a lot about creating experiences and scenes, I think, through hypnosis. Um, but it's also important to think about how someone views things when you're creating like triggers for a hypnotic hallucination and such, because it applies to that just as much. I think 
one of the things that a person, particularly when someone's young and they haven't had time to consider other people, a young person will think that everyone must think the same way as them. Because that's the easiest way to consider why other people are doing things. And people get upset when they find that people aren't acting the way they think they should. Because people don't think the same way as other people. Some people think with words in their mind. Some people, it's imagery. Some people just think in colours. They don't picture things or, or hear words at all. It's all kind of very vague and understanding how to interact with someone that thinks a different way to you is one of the most useful tools you can learn with hypnosis and generally in life it helps too. <laughs> yeah, so I think we're going to talk about some of the different ways that people think how to work that out right what to do with that information and uh, hopefully even if you have thought about this topic before hopefully we cover some things that you haven't thought about right and i'd say it's very important especially when you're thinking about how other people think is to understand it's a sense it's in a sense it's perspective taking one of the main things that you had covered was the idea of the theory of the mind, the awareness that other people are thinking beings, that they have their own actions and abilities of their own rather than simply responding to what you're doing. And so a very big aspect of understanding another person is to first sit down and in some ways to engage the fact that people have, and this is something we passively accept, but people have lived an entire life apart from our own. They have lived X number of years for each person, and they have had experiences that have built a logic or an understanding that may be completely different from our own. And so being open to that idea, being open to just the perception and being aware of the fact that you may sit down with someone and ask them a very simple question such as, how do you imagine hypnosis would look like or feel if you had to describe it to someone? And I've gotten responses from people in relation to feeling like they were melting into darkness. I've had people saying that it felt like their mind or their brain was turning into steam. I've had people just tell me that it felt like they were taking a nap. And those differences can be so extreme. Feeling like a part of you is changing or is disappearing or is becoming a part of it may be a key element. Because if someone you're working with, say experiences on a physical level it feels like my brain is relaxing and becoming mist and you sit down and try to give them a massage induction where you're just describing each part of their body relaxing it may not connect it may feel like it's a misaligned goal and that's the whole idea of having different perspective different perceptions and so the first thing i would really say is to sit down and to just talk with the person about how they imagine hypnosis works. For many new people who are brand new to it, they may not have an idea, but asking them what they've seen, what experience they've had, it's anyone who's exploring hypnosis has had some kind of exposure to it. 
and discussing with them what they've seen and what they imagined, what it would feel like, what it would look like. And talking with them about this gives you an understanding. In a way, it's the idea of putting yourself in their shoes. That the more fully you can imagine what they're imagining, the more easily you can work with what they're doing. So the first thing you'd want to do, other than sitting down and talking and figuring out what senses they apply, such as one example I've heard from others has been to use a beach, to have them close their eyes and ask them to imagine a beach and to ask them what is the first thing they imagine. Keyword using imagine, as I've had people use notice and it creates a very visual point of awareness and asking them what do they imagine. If they describe to you the sounds of the water and the waves, then they may be auditory primarily having them focus on, say, the color of the beach or the heat of the sun, maybe sight or touch, their tactile sense. And going deeper into that and asking them what are other things they're imagining, and you begin to see or you begin to hear from them specifically what it is that they are experiencing. If they've never been to a beach, you can use any type of terrain, just have them placed in a scenario at the park, at home, and just ask them what are the first things that come to them, the first things they imagine, and build on that. Taking that almost as an outline to, if I'm sitting in my chair and the first thing I notice is I'm sitting in a chair, I'm listening to Puppet as we are talking together, then that means I may be very tactile, which I am, and auditory. If someone describes to me the first thing they notice is that they're looking at the screen, or that they are, again, listening to what's coming out of their computer, they may be visual first and auditory second. And connecting with that gives you a more personal sense of where the differences may be between what you are aware of and what they're aware of, and letting yourself begin to shift into that, imagining it from that perspective, and then building out from there makes it not only a more personal experience, but it creates a more connected understanding between you two. Because... As I, well, as I had said earlier in this podcast, that people will experience things from their own perspective. And so being able to connect with that is allowing you to become immersed in their world, that they are the primary person that is building off of their understanding. So the more closely that you can align with them, the more effectively that they will be able to experience what you say. And from the perspective of the person being hypnotized, as I've experienced both roles, a person who's being hypnotized can also sit down and take time to understand where they're coming from and try to begin imagining what it is that you're experiencing during hypnosis. Imagine how you imagine it, how you fantasize about it, whatever words you feel fits best. Putting yourself in that position and allowing yourself to experience it naturally and say, what are the first things that come to me? What are the things that I feel primarily connect me with this immersive experience and what would I want to have focused on? And then expressing that to the hypnotist, to the person you're working with, to explore. The big thing especially that I want to emphasize is that it's not about getting it right, is the best thing I can say. It's about exploring and understanding that you try different things it doesn't need to be right the first time. Your mind, most of it is put in an almost automated pattern to handle situations, to understand. And it's a point where we don't delve deeply in on it in most of our areas of life. 
And so being able to take that time to sit down and communicate with yourself and learn about it means that you're learning more about who you are, who you're working with, and how you want to connect. What do you think on this puppet? So I feel like it's also important to talk about how to use this practically because understanding the other person is one thing, but using it is another matter and one that's probably of interest to our listeners. So when when doing an induction, having that conversation beforehand to try to understand the other person's mind will get you some information. The ways that they most easily think of things in their mind and um, more importantly things that they find more difficult to visualize. Uh, Some people it can be quite common that um, they find it difficult to have uh, kinesthetic hallucinations. That's touch. That's a common one. Hmm. And again, some people do not think visually. And I know that it's more important to avoid what they find difficult to think about because you're trying to get them in a state where they're not having to work things out with their critical mind and putting them in a situation where they're having to consider something that they're not quite as adept in doing Mm -hmm. um, will bring out that critical response that you're trying to avoid. Hmm. I find that's more important than learning how they do think is working out how they don't. Um, and and some people, some subjects, anything goes. But <laughs> but I also think that when you're working with a subject for a longer period of time, naturally you'll start to um, go towards imagery and metaphor that they find easier to think about anyway. Especially if you started off talking about these things and you keep up the communication as I hope people would. Some hypnotists starting off will use scripts and that's fine. There's judgment in the community about doing that but it's perfectly fine starting off and getting used to the patter, the hypnotic patter that uh, you can learn from those scripts. I don't have judgment there because that's how I started and then I got to the point where I just don't need it anymore because my I tried to educate myself a lot on why what I was using worked so that I could just come up with things more naturally. Right. So yeah, if you're if you're starting off and you're using scripts, don't worry about it. But if you're using scripts, that means that you're gonna be less flexible. Right. Which means it's even more important for you to have this discussion and maybe even edit either edit what you're using or find a new <laughs> new one to use that fits the subject better as a subject as you said knowing yourself can be really important and can make your experience with any hypnotist go a lot smoother but it can take time to really understand what works for you 
Right. Because, and I've had this talk with a few other people, is that it's important to understand that you will have a base idea. It's sometimes known as a signature style that some people use, but some people can be very flexible and have a very wide variety of methods. Like Puppet said, working with scripts to start is a good way to understand the underlying pattern that can come with being or doing hypnosis. And the main thing that you'd want to take away from that is a script is a good baseline. It's where you can practice the basics. You can learn about how different words can be shaped, how different patterns can work, and looking over multiple scripts, practicing them, and using them with people can help you to understand some of the flexibility between them. And taking that next step out is when you start to personalize it both for your own style and for the people that you're working with. And so a few of the practical things that I think would come out of this would be sitting down and understanding, I think like we mentioned earlier in this podcast, the idea that the person has their own mind and understanding. So asking them questions like, what are activities or things that they do already that help them to relax? This could be anything from watching TV, to reading a book, to going for a swim, and discussing why it's relaxing with them. Asking them what it means. So for some people who might go swimming, it's just the simple pattern, it's the simplicity, the silence. It's something that they're used to, they're comfortable with. So sticking to an induction, such as possibly even just describing them swimming using their own words can be a very effective method because it's words that they would use so their own mind already connects with it sitting down and discussing and even asking them a question such as if they describe reading a book asking them is it about the reading that matters is it the story that matters is it the time that's spent and letting them describe the activity to you and you begin to understand from your own perspective if you sit there and you even ask yourself how would I feel relaxed or what kind of activity do I do that makes me feel relaxed in this way? What do these words connect with inside of myself? If they describe, I love being able to be immersed in the story because I can just let myself follow the pattern and get used to it. For myself, it would be playing a video game. It would be sitting down and really engaging in it and letting ourselves become immersed in this experience because you know the pattern and one idea that comes to mind is in positive psychology there's an idea of flow flow is this area where you have your level of talent or skill matches the level of challenge so what you feel like is you're perfectly in sync with what you need to do and where you need to be and that as you get more into the state of flow you begin to lose track of time you begin to feel your body move automatically and you have less need to focus on each integral piece that you're moving and you become naturally immersed in it. A lot of people experience this when they are playing instruments they're very familiar with, playing video games, watching a movie that they enjoy very much. And it's a natural state where our mind connects and it's a state that anyone is capable of going into. It's very similar to hypnosis where you are in pretty much becoming immersed based upon your own interest and understanding. And hypnosis in many ways touches on different pieces of this where you are interacting with another individual, you are guiding them, and where you feel comfortable. Since even the first time I did hypnosis, I was sweating bullets. I was probably having cold shakes as well. 
And so the first oh. time you do it, it's <laughs> it's not that bad. Okay. <laughs> it's just, hey, I've known lots of people that when they first did it, it's very nervous. It feels like you're trying to create something. And for me, my mind kept asking myself over and over again, is this going to work? Is it going to be something good? Are they going to enjoy it? Am I going to mess up? And it might just be because of my anxiety, but it's, it's a natural thing to go through. Hypnosis for many people who sit down and feel like it might be this alien idea, this mind control being. Hypnosis focuses on very natural parts of the brain connecting and becoming relaxed. It's a part of what we do. In many ways, we actually do minor forms of mental reorganization, which hypnosis connects with just in a daily life. Imagine when you've walked down the same path or driven to work or even just typed up something or interacted with someone, parts of our brain go into autopilot. It tunes out certain things that our muscles, our body, our, we've practiced and we've done. It's the idea of someone doing free shots and having that moment where when they focus back in on it, where it's an intense moment, they have more difficulty because your mind has created an automatic pattern we follow. It's created this understanding that we rely on. And so when we do hypnosis, we're trying to help them find a natural pattern. We, when I say we, I mean the hypnotist working with the person who's being hypnotized, whether it's the subject, the hypnotee, whatever term you feel fits best. And it's through this communication we're talking about and understanding that communication is key. And I'd say focusing more on the practical side with what Papa was saying earlier it very much comes down to sitting down and asking yourself questions, looking at what it is that's provided to you, like scripts, information for the person you're working with, and just understanding, like I said earlier, was you're not going to get it right on the first shot. Giving yourself that understanding that what you're doing is building an understanding with this person. You're creating communication and really just trying to personalize it for your own sake and for their sake, because hypnosis works with how our minds and brains are already shaped. So sitting down and really saying, if I want to get into hypnosis, the big thing I'd want to do is to understand who I am, understand who they are. And the first practical thing to do would be if I wanted to understand hypnosis, what's the first question I would ask myself? And then ask that question to the person you want to do hypnosis with. It will help you to personally connect with them and let your mind take a step closer to, as I like to describe it every now and then, as sort of the path that we're each walking on. Sort of like if you imagine whatever type of material you'd want, dirt, stone, whatever, but imagine you're walking down one path and moving in one direction and another person that you want to work with is walking down another path. And this, there may be a large or a small gap between those two paths. They may be intersecting or going apart, but it's really about understanding what their path is, who they are and where they're coming from. And in order to begin understanding that you talk with them, you discuss with them and you ask these questions, what kind of things do they already find relaxing? What do they feel they would need in order to be relaxed? And what do they feel is the reason behind why they're even doing hypnosis? And this creates a way for you to make that gap closer and closer to bringing your paths together. 
so that you can understand. And so understanding their modalities, their whether or not they are touch or sight-based, understanding how they're applying it, as Puppet was saying earlier, the idea that if someone is sight-based, it doesn't mean that they're just going to be seeing things. It may be based on color. They may base things upon brightness. They may base things upon a dozen different things. And it may seem overwhelming, like there's a lot going on, but to them, it's how their mind connects and understands it. And the more time or the more effort you put into connecting with that or asking them questions and shaping your own understanding to fit as close as possible to theirs, the more effective your method, your talk, your communication will be and the more effective your hypnosis will be. Would you agree, Puppet? So, well, I agree. There's a couple of things I wanted to touch upon. As you were talking, mm-hmm. one of the things is uh, that flow that you were talking about. Uh, when people instinctively start doing something that they've become very accustomed to or have gotten very good at, that's a type of trance, and it's a useful thing to kind of understand that, so that even if you're not a subject, you will have an understanding of what that automatic behavior is like second thing i wanted to touch on is that because of the kind of stuff that you do Dracoso, you talk about relaxation a lot hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um i want to point out that although it's extremely common to have relaxation inductions there's definitely not the only way to get someone into trance Mm-hmm. shock inductions are a thing, yes inductions and a whole host of other ways to do it that don't rely on the subject being relaxed. It's very true. Although it can be a very pleasant thing for the subject to be relaxed. I think that's why a lot of people go towards that direction. And the last thing is actually something that we've talked about previously outside of the podcast in terms of modalities and what a person's primary way of thinking might be. You've actually worked with someone whose primary sense seemed to be balance, right? Their sense of balance. That's right. Um, Would you like to talk about that for a bit? Because I found that very interesting. Sure, and I think just so that people are aware that there are the five main senses which people are familiar with, and there have been studies that have been looking at many other forms of senses, and so I've worked with someone in the past that had a sense of balance as their primary modality. It was the idea that how they were sitting, how they moved, how they felt, in the sense of where they were in balance with gravity was one of the main ways that they determined how they experienced things. So if they felt like they were off balance, it was much harder to pay attention, to focus on things. And I had to create an induction for this person that was to outline pretty much how their body felt in balance. And one of the main inductions they really enjoyed was floating in water. It was not the sense of touch that the water was cool or warm around them. It wasn't 
There's sense where, as many people enjoy being able to put their head underwater and just enjoy the silence, it was the fact that they felt like the weight of their body was no longer such a heavy stimulus to their mind. And so there are different modalities, especially with this person. It was creating an induction that wasn't focused on what they could see, what they could hear or feel. It was based upon whether or not their body felt like it was at a point or at a balance with what was around it to not feel either overwhelmed or like it was picking up too much information from it. And so the different senses, while there are the main five modalities, there are several others. The primary ones that I believe in, or at least that I feel or have seen, are proximity, which is if you can close your eyes and you're in an area that you're relatively familiar with or an area that you at least got a good look over and you close your eyes, you can have a sense of where your distance is to certain objects around you. It's sort of a passive idea of if you see someone walking towards you and they're slightly on your path, so in other words, maybe your shoulders would bump, you can naturally, without watching them go that whole distance, be able to step past and around them. And that is the idea of your distance to other objects based upon where you are in time. Another one we just talked about was balance, the idea that many people say it's based on hearing. It's where you can hear things and understand it. But there are people who are deaf, who do not actively use those bones for vibration to be able to hear things. And so balance is still based upon your body and working with the overall weight and shifting it being able to tell as you move where you are in terms of pretty much how balanced you are with the ground as well as the air above you and just staying erect in the sense of your body and your spinal position. So there are other senses that people may depend on. They may not be fully aware of it since they've used their other senses that are related such as hearing related to balance. And you find that as you explore with people, or even as you sit down, you think about it yourself, you may notice that there are other things or other senses that you may depend on. Other pieces, such as sometimes people will get a sense of a chill down the spine. This may be another sense where your body is picking up on temperature shifts, little movements of air, and it may not just be touch, but it may be another type of sense that picks up on these pieces. And some people may depend on that more heavily or may train that sense, such as if you're in the army or if you're in a different part of the world, you may have need for different senses. So understanding that and what may come from it is very important. I'd say that, as Puppet had covered shortly ago, is that it's important to also understand that relaxation is not the only method. That is one of my primary. It's sort of my signature in many ways to help feel, people feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. but that it is true. There are many different methods for bringing people under. I've known some people who enjoy intensity where you are creating something such as a primal induction, where I've done an induction with someone very close to me, where you are, or where I've described myself as an unseen force making a large amount of noise that gets closer and closer and closer and describing them moving away from me. And that once I reach them, the intensity, the moment of the point of climax causes the drop. So it's really about coming to understand the person and communicating with them on what 
they need or what they're expecting from it. And in some cases, they may not know. So understanding yourself even better is one of the key aspects that I would say comes from being able to communicate and help them find out the questions that they need. That's something I'd like to touch on. There's no way to know exactly how someone's thinking. Even personally, it's shrouded in your own processing of the way that your mind is filtering your experiences and senses. There are degrees of obscurity, however you look at it. And while we focused a lot on communication and understanding which modalities a person tends to use in the way that they think and experience things, there's another way to look at this. One of the most powerful tools a hypnotist can use in their suggestion Without going into detail, suggestion is the entirety of it from induction to the end, to waking them up. But one of the most powerful tools one can use is metaphor. And you'll often find that the more like obscure and unspecific your metaphor is, the easier it is to create a strong effect or reaction from the subject because by giving a vague metaphor to the subject they will then use their own experiences and the way they think to fill in what the metaphor means to them and they will automatically use whatever is easiest for them to think because that's how minds work so while knowing you know which modalities to use for an individual can be very useful especially when you're trying to get something quite specific out of a session it's also really useful to know that if you want something to work well And it doesn't matter exactly what comes out of it. I mean, honestly, when you're being unspecific with a person, especially with uh, things that they find exciting, if you're vague about it, they're going to fill in the gaps with things that they find exciting. So it can be even better for them to be vague and not focused, (laughs) which is interesting you have to you have to think about what you use on on multiple levels so while while understanding a person's modalities is useful using vague metaphor and tropes even is a good example talking about tropes now the word drop what does drop mean nothing in terms of the mind but anyone getting into hypnotism has heard about the subject dropping into trance and stuff and so it doesn't matter what trance feels like for your subject because it does feel different for different subjects if you tell them to drop then they'll associate that with their experience of trance 
what they're expecting, and so it'll be easier because you've used this trope, this metaphor. Um, so, and that ties into what Dracosa was touched upon with listening to the way they talk about things and using their phrasing and their words and such things that they are familiar with to get a better response. Right. And you can do that with just by being vague, really. It can be very useful. <laughs> well, yeah. Leaving open-ended areas in your induction or in pieces of what you're doing can be very effective. I would say it's also good to make sure that you understand just how vague you get, since I've known some people who hold back for certain things, such as if you allow the person who's bringing themselves up out of trans... I've had some hypnotists who feel unsure about letting the person who's being hypnotized count themselves out, which is in some ways allowing the to be a vague guidance. And so I think the main way to sort of shape that, as you've been talking about, Puppet, is that you want to leave open areas where you are describing something that allows the person to almost apply their own reasoning. A lot of a person's mind we can't observe directly, as we can't simply reach in and have a manual or a schematic that understands how that person thinks, but that sitting down and understanding that their mind has pieces of it that have been created that are underneath the layers, such as they say the mind, we only really get to see the tip of the iceberg, almost 90% of it is hidden underneath where it's simply the mind or the brain itself analyzing and calculating. And so it puts pieces in and it creates its own understanding, areas that we may not have explored. As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, that people have been creating their lives, their understanding over their entire life. And so when you create this vague area, for example, if you were to describe to someone feeling as though there's a warm pressure on them, they will fill in the gaps of what is creating this warm pressure. Is it a hand? Is it simply a wave of heat in the air? And leaving these descriptions somewhat open, more vague, and allowing their mind to fill in those gaps lets them create something that is a more personalized experience, especially since when you sit down with someone, while it's good to communicate and understand, you also don't want to overload where you're asking every single little detail and you're trying to pull everything out so you can describe it to such perfection, but leaving these vague areas open where you can actually provide them with the opportunities in a way or allow their mind to fill in gaps so they can understand it and that they can create their own personal experience. One great example are tropes like Puppet said earlier. And as Puppet outlined, the idea that you're creating something that is a generally understood belief or generally understood pretty much desire of what should happen. And in that sense, I mean that when you use the drop trigger, as Puppet had mentioned earlier, it's an idea that it is meant that you are going from a higher or an even point and you are dropping down to a lower point. And so it's this idea that that is a cue for the mind that understands I am going to change in some form of position, some form of depth, and having a general understanding, an idea that you both share. It's, it's commonality to some degree that if your mind understands it, even though there is a difference as to how exactly it is applied, 
those certain areas around the edges where you each hold the understanding that drop is a word that causes someone to go to a deeper point creates a base that you can build off of. It allows that vague point around it. You just used another trope. You said deeper. True. And so <laughs> let's, let's, let's go on the general trope of that is depth. The idea that doing hypnosis means that you are going from a higher or an up point to a lower and a deeper point is the idea. Mm. And in actuality, like we've said, sometimes it doesn't have to do with, say, relaxation. At the same time, for some people, it's not experienced as depth. For some people, it's experienced as just a shift in the mind. For some people, it's experienced as, I've known many people who experience it as pleasure where they actually become more aroused and that arousal fogs their mind and they go into that state of trance. Flow itself doesn't mean that you're going deeper. As we talked earlier, a flow is a sense of trance and it's not going deeper. It's simply engaging and becoming immersed in an activity. So using deeper as a trope can help a person, especially if they identify with that, to get into that mind state. It's a word I've heard people use and overuse quite a bit because of how heavy of a trope it is and using these ideas can help to connect you i think that's probably the biggest word that i would use if it came to hypnosis is connection the more of a connection you have whether it's through opening vague areas that people can fill in with their own understanding using tropes that you both understand or communicating and taking depth and delving into who that person is and who you are the connection really comes across with how flexible you are and how open you are. And I'd say many people use the word rapport, which is how well of a relationship, communication, understanding you have between each other to have these experiences. And I'd feel that connection is probably the best way, especially if you want to build with someone, that you can understand how their mind works, how their body works, how their brain works, and while we can't look at the deepest aspects of it, using things like vague understanding or metaphor can help you to bridge that gap in areas so that you can have a strong connection. Many people are together for long periods of time. As Puppet had mentioned, that over time you build up and have this long-term relationship where you're able to understand and connect. And in some ways, the more you understand who you are, the more easily you can see that path of yours able to shift or align with where they are. And that's why in some cases I've heard this even when I first started was the idea that it's a good idea for experienced hypnotists to work with inexperienced subjects or vice versa because they have the way to understand who they are and how to communicate. But in many ways, it's simply about sitting down. And even if you haven't done hypnosis that long, the more clear of an idea of who you are and how other people may think and be able to flex into those vague areas to create opportunities, the more effectively you can create something that connects with someone else. Yeah, definitely. I mean, some of the most illuminating moments for me were when I sat down with an experienced subject afterwards. That is when I was learning and just talking about how they experienced what happened and um, often they point out things that they felt were particularly good and things that didn't work quite as well for them and it was always really interesting and really useful so if you're if you're learning 
hypnosis than having some experienced subjects who know or can sense what is effective for them and be able to communicate with that uh, even afterwards can be really useful and then if you're if you're a subject having a an experienced hypnotist will be able to help you work out a bit more about it and the best thing you can do afterwards is like just be honest with them and talk it through afterwards what worked what didn't if you do that and even if it didn't go particularly well an experienced hypnotist be usually be more than happy to jump in again and alter what they've done to give you a better experience so you know it comes back again to how important communication is Mm -hmm. throughout and I, i think I think it's interesting. If you've ever spent a certain amount of time with someone, then you'll start to pick up the way they talk and the kind of jokes that they make, even their body language. And this is, this is empathy. Um, and you'll find it happens a lot in relationships where people kind of shift and become more similar all the time. Mm-hmm. And... That's because a natural part of humanity, part of uh, having communities as a species, having mates that we uh, stay with for long periods of time, all that is part of the survival process. And if you work with someone long enough, you'll find that you'll just naturally get better and better at working with them. I find that interesting and linking it to how humans are naturally. And Have you experienced that as well with people that you've worked with for a long time? Uh. Naturally shifted or you just get fast track it by working out what they're like. Uh, to be honest, I was thinking, because you mentioned one of your most, uh, one of the biggest experiences you had that helped you, and I was thinking back on one of mine was, in the first five people I worked with, the first two or three, like I said, I would get very, very nervous, very anxious, very worked up, I'd be so much in, I think as many people can easily say nowadays, I got very much in my own head, and the fourth person I worked with, I still remember doing the induction i was like the first three had gone okay you know like anxiety caused issues but the fourth person i got about 15 minutes into the induction which back then i made inductions that were about a half an hour to an hour which some people prefer and i was about 15 minutes in and she stopped me and said she wasn't feeling anything Mm -hmm. and i had of course that moment of catastrophizing in my head oh no and i stopped no it's it's okay it was good Because what it made me stop and realize, like you're talking about reflecting on people, being empathic and being aware of the people around you, it made me realize I was spending so much time in my own head trying to figure out what's the best way to do this? How do I make this better? How do I create it? And I realized I wasn't trying to connect with the other person. And I learned 
in some ways very a very hard lesson from that because of how pretty much uh, I pressured myself to do well. But I learned from that that a lot of people may think, and well, from that and from talking to other people, is a lot of people may think that a lot of the weight of experience is on yourself. And that what you need to do is to understand it so well that you can create this. But in actuality, the person who you're working with is not only a connection that you're trying to have your path go out to, but they're trying to reach out for your path as well. And so understanding that being aware of them, and even in the sense of when people are mates, when they are close or when they get close to each other, say when people are interested in each other, if I say mates too much either i'll sound australian or like a national geographic documentary but anyways um when people are interested in each other it is there there are many signs not only do they give each other more attention but your eyes will actually dilate your heart rate will increase there are many different signs that present themselves to allow yourself to connect more openly with the other person because your brain and your body in many ways is already wired to do so and so we can sit down and focus on the other person, but to also understand that they're, they, they are there to communicate with you as well. Some more openly than others, but it's about being receptive and understanding that I think probably the best practical thing I can say about communication is not to judge, but to identify how openly they are communicating and how openly you are communicating and finding a point where you can be at an even point. For example, if someone is more closed off and pulled away, showing that you respect that can actually help them to feel more open and communicate and be more receptive to vague ideas to allow themselves to naturally get into that state and be comfortable. For people who are just straight open and who are very communicative, where they're giving everything, but they may not Let's say they can communicate with you and say that they're very open, they want to talk with you about everything and be there, but they don't have many answers to their own questions. It's a little bit more advanced, but it's the idea that they are able to communicate externally, but they may not be communicating internally as much. It's good to identify different aspects like this that allow you to understand where the not only information, but the connection is coming from. And that if we're going to work with individuals, and I say we as in a general, hopefully people who are listening have an interest in this, that if we are going to drive towards connecting and making this understanding of the people we're with, trying to use this information, this understanding, I'd say the biggest thing to take out of that is that the person we're working with is going to be communicating back with us. So that what we do build is along the lines of what we're both looking for and that their connection to us is something that we should be comfortable relying on just as much as our connection to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's about time for us to wrap up, unless there's anything uh, in particular that you feel we've missed. Um, I would just say the only other thing is just to touch on that experience that I mentioned earlier where I had even in that moment, my thought was I blew it. It's good. In many ways, you probably heard this in other formats, but it's good to fail sometimes. Not only is it good to, not only is it good to fail, oh, yeah. but it's also good to understand where the limits of your perspective and your communication are and being willing to be open to that limit and understanding that 
just because it's a limit now, or just because you are at where you are now, or just because you may fail right now, it doesn't mean that there isn't room for growth. That's, I think, the biggest lesson we can take away in many ways for communication is we spend our whole lives building our understanding. We're still building our understanding. This isn't a everything has to be right now. It's that what we have now is to help us towards where we want to be next. That's, I think, about as much as I can say on that for now. On the topic of failing, um, so it's a bit of a segue, but my granddad mm-hmm. taught me chess and got to a point where he always <laughs> beat me. And then one, and then one day he would, I, I would win a game and the next time he played, mm-hmm. he'd win. And it always went backwards and forwards. And that's, it turns out like years later, I find that's because my mum complained to him <laughs> that he always beat me. <laughs> so he let me win some form of communication. There you go. It's just uh, your, your mom being angry. <laughs> <laughs> was I was never upset about it though. I was like, I just wanted to get better at it, and I knew, but by playing someone that was better than me, I oh, could learn. Oh yeah, especially if they talk with um, you. Even then, yeah, uh, <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. Uh, it makes me think. I learned chess as well. The only thing is my story is not as fun as yours. Mine's a very silly story where when I was young, the only reason I wanted to play chess is because we had gone on a trip down to Cozumel off of Mexico, and they got a very, very nice, pretty, like, Aztec and Incan-style chess board. And I only played it, and I didn't learn a dang thing from it. I just loved how pretty the pieces were. That's pretty much my experience with chess. I mean, I've tried to play with others. It's fun. I've learned a lot later on. It's just my initial care for chess was, these are very pretty. Mm. Let's play chess. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us for today's topic. If you've enjoyed this, you can support us at patreon.com slash braincage. You can also join us over on Discord at Fetlandia and talk with us directly. Links for both are listed in the description. Thanks again for listening and take care.